Good morning. Welcome to Grace Point Virtual Church. We are glad that you are here with us today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 6 through 10. Um, As you're turning there, just a a couple of announcements. Uh, I do appreciate for all of you that have uh, commented, sent notes, comment on Facebook, comment on a YouTube video, uh, shot me an email, uh, just check it in. I really do appreciate it. I, every week it really does help to let me know who's out there and who's watching. And and so now as I begin, I can sort of, uh, you know, have you in my mind. And so last week for our live services, we did start at 9.30 a.m. outside. And so if you'd like to join us, you'd be welcome. We have benches and chairs available. You can bring your own uh, your own lawn chair and, and just make yourself comfortable. There's, there's plenty of room to spread out and, and to stay safe. And so we'd love to see you in person. And as, if, you're, if not, it's okay. We, uh, we will continue making these videos to, um, you know, to, to include you all uh, through this time. Uh, next week, we are kicking off Operation Christmas Child. We do this every year. And so it's a wonderful opportunity to, to gather gifts and, and things to sort of send around the world to bless children. And so we are participating like we do every year. And as you go out and about, you can start looking for supplies to, to give to kids. And so it's always a wonderful time. Jackie's going to share with us next week about um, just more about that. And with that, let's pray so that we can get into our passage for today. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. We ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us. Uh, Lord, help us understand what is being said here, that we would be able to feel the emotion and to gain principles and applications to our own life uh, from this section. We love you, Lord, and we praise, praise you, and we ask this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. First Thessalonians chapter 3, beginning in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, And has brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us, just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live, if you stand firm in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God? For you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. And Father, we do thank you uh, for this letter that is unfolding before us between Paul and this church in Thessalonica. Uh, We pray, Lord, that you would encourage us uh, through our time here this morning, and it's in Christ's good name we pray, amen. Okay, so chapters, really chapter 2, verse 1, through last week, where we ended at verse 5, all of that had been written was sort of in the past tense, uh, from Paul's time of writing. He's, He's writing, thinking back to the time before he knew uh, how the church in Thessalonica was doing. He had his three or four weeks there, and the gospel had gone out. He left or was was really pushed out by persecution, and he had no idea what 
was happening. And so he had anxiety about um, what was going on there and you know, how would they respond? Were they gonna, was the gospel going to take root in their hearts? And so he was just really concerned. And he writes from this perspective of, of not knowing. And then today, as we go into verse 6, we, we turn the corner and we, we move into the present tense. He, he now has the information about them, which was very encouraging to him. And so he's, he's going to celebrate this today at the portion that we're looking at. He's going to celebrate next week, and then we're going to transition into this information of good news. To He's going to sort of prompt them and, and help them to, to move forward in their Christian life. And so just by um, um, way of reminder, let's look at where we, what we covered last week. So in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul writes, Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens. And, and, and he talks about that he just he couldn't endure it anymore, that he, at the point when he couldn't take it any longer, he sent Timothy off. And then as he sent Timothy off, he sort of ponders in this parenthetical statement, sort of dealing with uh, the persecution that he was experiencing, that he knows that they were experiencing, and, and that this was no surprise to him that when he was there, he told them and explained to them that they would indeed face this persecution. And so he feared that all of the work that he'd poured into these people and everything that he'd done for them, he, he feared that with the persecution, they would drift away. But persecution is this great litmus test to see uh, one's sort of um, response or, or how the gospel has affected their life, that a person who has received Christ when in, in truth and the gospel has taken root when persecution comes, the persecution seems to only make the individual stronger. And so here we come into verse 6. Verse 6 is 6 through 8. So these three verses in the Greek, it's, it's, it's one lengthy sentence. It's very, there's a lot of information there packed in. The New American Standard sort of follows the Greek, and it's why sometimes it's so, it's a little bit wooden, and it can be hard to, to follow along. But the main thrust of these three verses is that we are encouraged, that, that we are encouraged to hear the good report. And so now in verse 6, we read, but now that Timothy has come to us from you, but now, you can almost, uh, this, this but, is a, it's a strong contrast to what he had previously been writing about. And so the, the contrast is, previously, he, he's talking about his anxiety, his worry, his fears, uh, how they're walking with the Lord. But now that Timothy has returned, there's relief in this, the fear of what he couldn't bear has has gone away because Timothy has come to us from you. So Timothy has returned. Timothy made this journey from Athens down to Thessalonica. This is about 220 miles one way. So I'm thinking like between San Diego and Los Angeles or so. Um, but maybe that's like a hundred miles. So, so it's a it's a good distance. Like I'd have to look at a calendar. Uh, you know, maybe here to Santa Barbara or something is about the the distance we're talking about. So, how they traveled, this would be like a ten or an eleven day journey, one way. 
And so we're looking at 20 or 22 days round trip. And then, you know, you put in a week or so that Timothy uh, tracks down the church and spends time with them. And so for Timothy, this whole journey took him about a month. And uh, while he's gone, this month felt like an eternity to Paul. Like he sends Timothy, he's he's longing to hear and you know, there's, there's no way to, to communicate. Today, we go on a trip, and you could go halfway around the world. I travel over, overseas, and I land, or even on the plane, I can text Anna, or when I land, I can text her, say, hey, I arrived, I'm here, I'll text you when I get to the hotel, or whatever. We can, we, we can check in. There was, there was none of this for Paul. He just sent Timothy out, not knowing if he'd actually see Timothy again, hoping that he'd see him again, not knowing when, not knowing how. Just one day, Timothy would make his way to Paul, and they would reunite and then hear all the news. And so when he says, but now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought good news of your faith and love, Timothy delivered good news. This is a very interesting word because what is the good news? Uh, Throughout the New Testament, this word is used uh, normally to describe the gospel the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died for you, he was buried, he rose on the third day, he conquered death, and he did this for you, available to each one of us by grace through our faith. But now it's used to describe this this Timothy's return. And not only was he happy to see Timothy, but Timothy delivers this wonderful news about their faith, and their love. So in the midst of all of this persecution that was happening, when Timothy goes in to, to check on them, you know, I talked about my trees last week and being in the midst of the storm and, and that I mentally prepared to go out there in the midst of the storm. Timothy goes down there in the midst of the storm. He goes down there and he sees them and he's like, they are holding strong. That as the persecution comes, their, their, their faith was grounded, their Love was strong, and they're just hanging in there, and they're doing excellent. You know, we live during we're we're living during these unprecedented times. It, it's just, um, you know, talking to fellow pastors today before I started to preach. I was talking to my one pastor buddy, and and you know, every church is having to navigate how how you do this. And and I, I think of of last week when. That, that phrase in verse one, we thought it best when you just kind of do, do your best. And, and so like some churches have decided to go one way with how they're reopening, others have not. And, and so we have, um, you know, in our talking, this pastor I'm talking to, they haven't restarted. And so, but we're good friends. And, and so we've just, how we've navigated and each of us understands the difficulty of what we're going through. But as we're talking, we're like, yeah, we, we fear for those that we can't see and that we've lost touch with. And, and he suspects that, that the average church in America during the, the lockdown has lost probably 20 to 40% of, of people who were a part of them. And it, it's, it's, a, it's a, a troubling thing as a, as a shepherd of a congregation to, to lose you know, touch of your, your sheep. And we're in this period where those of you, like, you can see me, but I can't see you. And, and, and so just wondering how those that I haven't seen, how they're doing. And so that's why it's so encouraging when you uh, shoot me an email, send me a text, or you just comment and say, hey, I'm doing wonderful. It's so 
encouraging, to know you're uh, holding strong. And so my, my prayer is that while we're going through these times of uncertainty and affliction of, of just our whole normal routine has been up, uprooted, and then in the midst of our normal routines, if you watch the news, it's like the world has imploded and every single day there's something new to be worried about. And so my prayer is that through these times that your faith is growing deeper in Christ, and that as you grow deeper in Christ, that his love fills your heart and that it overflows to others. I'm so encouraged when I see uh, like people in, in present and people who are away who I hear that through these last six or seven months, however long it's been at this point, of, of how God is moving and to see uh, God's spirit move in your midst and in light of all, like all that's going on, to see that God is doing a work in you. It is so encouraging. I love to hear from you about what God is doing in the midst of the coronavirus. And so Paul gets this good news of their faith, of their love for one another. And he says, and you always think kindly of us, longing to see us as we also long to see you. And so Paul has loved them, and he's longed for them, but he doesn't know how they're doing. And so when Timothy comes back, what he, what he learns is that the feeling is it's mutual, that as much as he's longed, this word for longing, it's this sort of, um, it, it's, it's painful. You know, Paul described himself in, in his relationship with them as, as a parent who had been orphaned of their children. And what he finds out is that when he hears from Timothy, that they also felt like children who had lost their parent. And so there's this mutual affection for one another. You know, nobody wants to not be loved by the other person. And I think this is like the beautiful thing of relationships of, of give and take when you give of yourself and the other person is giving back equally in the relationship. It's there's something special about that. That's how like a marriage should be. That's how uh, you know relationship with parents and children. Like there's this, we, we enjoy one another. And as Paul was stripped away, he learned from Timothy. He's like, man, Paul, they really love you and they really miss you and they long to see you. And this word longing sort of becomes this like this key word that they are they are there's there's a desire for one another. Um, Paul says, we also long to see you as you long to see us. And it's this this deep relationship between the pastor and the the church. It reminds me of Romans um, 1 verses 11 through 13. I always, it's not on my ring anymore. It it, it, it rubbed off. Um, I also think it was on Anna's engagement ring. And so like right now we're, uh, this week we celebrated, not that you really celebrated, but it's like the 19-year anniversary of not our marriage, but when we got engaged. And I, I think back to that time and we thought, like, what's, what's a verse that we can put inside of our, 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 our bands? And so Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 13 is one of those verses that we inscribed, but they, they rubbed off over the years. And in that verse, what it says, Romans chapter 1, verses 11 through 13, it says, for I long to see you. And there's that word longing. It's this like this aching desire. 
to see them. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have prevented so, been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as amongst the rest of the Gentiles. And so Paul in his writing, he, he, again, speaking to the church in Rome where he hasn't, hadn't been at this point, and this word longing, he's like, I'm aching within me. I so want to get to you and to see you and to meet you and to learn about you. And that I want to impart some spiritual fruit into your life. And I want to be mutually encouraged by you that it wasn't this one-way street. That it was like that he would give of himself and that they would give of themselves to him. And that through this all, they would grow closer together in Christ. For me and Anna, that's what we wanted in our marriage. I hope that's what you want in your marriage. That's what we want as a church with one another. That when we gather together, that we spend our time encouraging one another, mutually encouraging each other. Paul also uses this word in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, in a very, not a, a different way, but in the same way. So as he's talking about his longing for the Lord, that, that, that in this body he grapples, you know, to be, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and he kind of talks through his struggle of like, just wanting to be done with this place. And I don't think it was depression in this sense, but it was that he wanted to just be with the Lord and to be done with the persecution and the suffering and the things that we face in this life. And he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 2, for indeed in this house we groan, longing. There's that word, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. And so Paul knew that in this life, while we have this relationship with Christ, there's also this separation. And that one day when we die, when we pass from this life to the next, we will have intimate fellowship with the Lord. And so there's this this longing for heaven in Paul's heart. There's this longing for relationship amongst the saints and I don't know if you have experienced this, um, this longing, you know, this, the, you know, the picture of a, of a parent losing their children and longing to be with their children. Do, do you have this for the fellowship of the saints, of, of being with one another? The first time I ever uh, experienced this was in, was in boot camp. Like, I, I'm one of those guys that I don't know exactly when I became a Christian, I know that I was a Christian by 1996, but in 1993, um, it, it was really my first exposure to the evangelical church in boot camp. You know, the first Sunday I was given the opportunity to go to as many services as I want to, and my, my motivation was to avoid cleaning. And so the first Sunday, I went to the Catholic church, just that was what I was raised in, and then I went to the evangelical service. And then it was lunchtime by the time I did those two. And then the next Sunday, I was super stoked to do the both. But the next Sunday, he said, no, you can only choose one. You have to declare the second week. And so that was a big, that was a big tipping point in my life where I made the decision to, 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 to leave the Roman Catholic Church and to go to the Protestant Church. I remember after a few weeks of going to the Protestant service, 
that I, I wanted to have my dog tags um, traded out so that they could take off the RC for Roman Catholic and just put Protestant on there. And, or maybe I put Christian. I forget what I put. But there was a big, it was a big deal in my, in my mind. And during boot camp, for however long it is, the two months, it was like I would go from Sunday to Sunday just longing for the next Sunday, longing to be in that setting with fellow believers. I don't think I could articulate it back then. I just do in my heart that I wanted to be there. And, and, and so uh, it was a wonderful feeling, but I graduated boot camp and then I, I drifted. And, um, you know, it, it would take a number of years till 1996, three years elapsed, and I drifted and got into some trouble. And then in 1996, uh, that's, that's when my relationship for the Lord was rekindled, or maybe I was born again for the first time. But it was the first time that where it was rekindled in my longing for the fellowship, the koinonia, the, the fellowship of the saints, the, of the gathering with one another. It was, the first, it was where it, it stuck and it never went away, and that was back in 1996. And so I, you know, for me, I've, I've said this before, coronavirus, I, I go to church and I assemble with the local body of believers, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian and I believe that God has called us to assemble with one another. Um, during the shutdown, and I, my, my assumption for you who are not attending, but during that three months or two months or whatever it was where I was doing the pre-recorded messages and not, there was just such a longing for fellowship. It reminded me of boot camp, those days between meetings, it, it, but it just it was, it strung out for a long, long time. And it was so hard not to gather. And my, my, uh, my assumption and my feeling for those of you who are not gathering is that you have this longing and your burden in your heart. And I do think that that's of the Lord to want to gather uh, with one another. I'll never forget that first week back when we gathered collectively in the sanctuary and we worshiped. I mean, it was um, tears in my eyes. I know that talking to some other people who, uh, for them, when we gathered outside for the first time, that it was very emotional and they started crying. And so I do think that when I see this passage and I see Paul talking about this, this this longing for one another in verse 6. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love and that you always think kindly towards us, longing to see us as we long to see you, what I see in application is I see the importance of us needing to gather as believers, that, that, that we should desire this, worshiping together, uh, doing Bible studies together, coming together in prayer. All of these things are so critical uh, for our growth and for our fellowship and our growing closer to the Lord. And I'm so glad that we are, we are doing these things again, from Bible studies to prayer time uh, to, to weekly services. Uh, I do believe that the Bible describes the local church like those that are that are the local church. It's not the building; it's the people. That there's a sort of a a magnetic element to those who are the church. That we we long to be together with one another. 
Now going into verse 7. He says, For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. So we see for this reason. For this reason, we go back to what we're just talking about. For this reason. this The reason is Timothy's good report. They got a great report. Timothy came back and said, the church is flourishing. Yeah, they're under persecution, but they're standing strong. Their faith is strong. Their love for one another is growing and vivacious. And Paul says, when I heard about this, I was so encouraged. And he goes on to say that this encouragement came in all our distress and affliction. We were comforted about you through your faith. So Paul was getting discouraged. Paul was going through a difficult time. Paul was like just really worn out. And I so relate to Paul in this over the last six months. This last six months, this for everyone, for pastors leading through this, this has been just a super stressful time. Like there's really uh, not been, there hasn't been too much opportunity to, um, to, to, to sort of uh, let your hands off the steering wheel, so to speak, and, and kind of take a break. Uh, short breaks, but it's we're in the midst of this. And in the midst of this, to see God working in your lives, to see what God is doing, brings me so much like energy and excitement to see what is happening. I, there, there are things that I'm just jazzed about. Like I'm not really at liberty to talk about what's going on in everybody's life, but as a pastor, to see people growing and connecting to Christ, it just excites me. I'm so excited about it. And so when Paul says this, that in all of our distress and affliction, so in the midst of this, he talks about, in the midst of this affliction, that there was, there was comfort about the Thessalonians. And that when he heard from Timothy about their faith, like it brought him so much excitement. Now over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, so uh, this, this whole journey, like you could do some piecing together. I haven't done all the math. Like there's a lot of speculation. But when he writes 2 Corinthians, Corinthians, he talks about some of this time. So Corinth is also in Greece. And so during this section, there's a lot of coming and going from people as Paul sort of travels around dealing with Thessalonica and the, and, uh, uh, the Philippi um, and Corinth. So we have these towns in modern-day Greece. But over in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7, when Paul writes to the Corinthian church, He says this, for even when we came into Macedonia, so this is where we are. Macedonia is the region that Thessalonica sits. And so Paul makes his way over from Philippi up to Thessalonica. Then he went up to Berea. Then he made his way to Athens. And then he got to Corinth. So he's all in this region. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without fears within. So he says, when you look at the outside, the things that were happening, he was being physically abused. He was being beaten up. He was being run out of towns. He was being assaulted physically from the outside. But then he also says fears within. And so then not only about all this other stuff, but just within him in his soul, like he was fearful and he was afraid. So I think that we can all relate to this. We, like over the last six months, like we have, um, you know, there's, there's, there's concerns about the coronavirus and what's happening externally and all of the things like your job, your work, these external things. And then these external things play into our internal things. And then there's fears within. 
And I do think that over the last six months, regardless of like your opinion on the coronavirus and all of this stuff, the, the government's reaction and shutting things down has, has caused a lot of destruction in, in people's lives from suicide, drug abuse, domestic violence. They're, they're just horrific, the things that are happening as we sort of like are trying to respond to this virus. I'm not giving commentary. I'm just saying that there are things that have happened very bad to people, not from the coronavirus, but because of the reaction to the coronavirus. And so there's fears within. What's tomorrow going to look like? What's six months going to look like? What's a week from now going to look like? There's just a lot of questions, and it's really easy to get worried and to start having anxiety about life. Then he says in verse 6, but God. So now we're, we're still in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 5 through 7. But in verse 6, he says, but God who comforts the depressed. I love this. There are some people who will say that Christians shouldn't get depressed. This is the Apostle Paul, and here he says, God who comforts the depressed. And he's going to go on, and he's going to put himself, the Apostle Paul, into that category. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you, as he reported to us your longing, there's that word again, your mourning and your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. So here Paul talks about this really dark time in his life, that he's not doing great. And then as he's there discouraged, depressed, young Titus comes to him. And Titus, Titus is used by God to bring comfort to Paul, to encourage Paul, to help Paul out of this slump that he was in, this, this, this place of discouragement. And part of what God gave to Titus to do this was a good report about this church in Corinth, who they had been, you know, 1 Corinthians is a mess. 2 Corinthians is sort of the, based on the report of that they had received Paul's correction and that they had begun to grow. And he says that they loved Paul. And so Paul says that he began to rejoice as he hears this. And so we I go through all of this to kind of get back to verse 7 where he says, in our distress and affliction, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 paints the picture of the, the affliction and the distress that he was going through. And he says that as in, in the case of Thessalonians, that Timothy came to him with a similar report about the Thessalonians and that he found encouragement there. Because of their faith, they were growing. And then he says in verse 8, For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. So now Paul's alive. He's not talking about being dead. He's not talking about alive. This whole like really alive, this is, this is a hyperbole. It's like an extreme statement that this good news about them, that, that Paul's like overjoyed and he's excited about life. And then there. Uh, in his like anxiety being gone and being exchanged for um, joy and hope for these young believers that he'd poured his life into, he says, if you stand firm in the Lord. Now, I think the NIV translates that word if since. Now, whenever I see the if here, if you've been around me long enough, I always wonder like, what is it in the Greek and how should it be translated? Because there's like four or five different classes 
of these conditional statements or these, these the word if that we get in the English. Um, it's in the Greek, but it can be understood in four or five different ways based on its sort of the condition of it. And so if it's a, if and you are is the first class condition. And so that one you can translate since. And so to me, the question is like, for now we really live, like the NIV translates it, since you stand firm in the Lord. But that's not actually what it is. It's actually a truly conditional statement. Like it's supposed to be if, like there's a condition there, which then sort of uh, like puts some questions into like, what did Paul mean by this? Like there's, there's no question in this writing that they are standing firm. But, but there is this sort of this worry that Paul thinks they're going to drift away. And, and there's a worry by like any pastor who part of the flock stops coming. For those of you that I'm like talking to on the other side, there's a, there's a worry like, how are you doing spir- spiritually? Like, I, I'm going to, like, if, if this is your church and I'm your pastor, I'm going to give an account for your soul before God. And so it should worry me when I don't see you and I worry about how you're doing. Like, you might be walking good with the Lord today. You might have been walking good with the Lord a month ago, a year ago, five years ago. But there's a concern about now and moving forward. As I was thinking about this and what Paul is saying here, there's a story in Anna's family about their mom. And I, like I, all, all I kind of remember is that the, the story was that the, Anna's mom, my mother-in-law, would, would tell the kids, like, hey, if you don't, like, if, like, all I want you guys to do is to live for the Lord. And if you don't live for the Lord one day, I'm going to just, like, as an old woman, I'm going to be at your, at your doorstep at your, the front of your house, and I'm going to be weeping. And I remember I texted Anna and I, I, as I was studying this week, and I said, hey, Anna, this, can you help me remember that story? And so I texted her, and so this is what Anna texted me back. Uh, she said, yes. My mom used to say all she wanted was for us to live for Jesus, and if we didn't, she would sit and cry at our doorsteps, and our friends would come and do whatever bad things we were doing, and then they would ask, who is that old woman crying at your doorstep? And then we would have to say, oh, that's my mom. She's crying because we don't love Jesus. A hundred percent, I have always thought my mom was serious. I was going to say I believed her as a kid, but come to think about it, she'd probably still do it with a bunch of smiley faces with the tears. And so, like, so when I see this, like, I get that picture. It's not that they weren't walking for the Lord, but it was like this, this picture of a parent saying, I just want you to go the distance. It's not about how you start the race. It's about how you finish the race and go the distance. Fight the good fight. Run the race that's been laid out before you. And I believe that that's what we're supposed to do. When things get tough, when there's afflictions, when there's worry, keep going. Keep being faithful. Stick it out. God is faithful. Turn to him. He will help you through this. Paul didn't want them to lose ground in the relationship for Christ. He goes on to say in verse uh, 9, For what thanks can we render to God for you in return of, for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? And so that's a very sort of wordy 
like he's just kind of packing a whole bunch of stuff in there, and he's basically saying, like, I'm so thankful for the spiritual fruit in your lives. Like, I'm so jazzed that I'm giving thanks to God for all of you and what God is doing in your life. And so when I look at this, I just, like for me in the last, really the 13 years of being the senior pastor here, the the highs and lows of, uh, of being a pastor, seeing God work in an individual's life, so exciting. Seeing the word go out and take root in your heart, super exciting. When I hear of like a teenager that heard me say an illustration about something spiritually from like five years ago, and they say, oh, you told the story, and I remember this. So exciting. When I just see like things like clicking, and to see somebody go from darkness to light, and then begin to live it out, it's so exciting. But on the other side, the lows are those who were amongst us, and I thought that they were walking, and they drifted away, or they got upset over something petty, or like just not being reasonable. Like it's so painful. I don't think it's something that you can understand the weight of responsibility for those that are under a pastor's like care and concern. I really think that only a pastor understands, or a pastor's wife, I would say, like even understands the weightiness of the things, the highs and the lows. And so here, Paul is like giving this really like this this high that he's so excited for them and, and the fruit in their lives that he's just thanking God. He says in verse 10, in addition to thanking God, that he continues to, to pray for them. He says, as we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. So 9 and 10, like if you read this all together and then you see there's a question mark at the end, it's like, how does this all fit together? So the question mark, like he's saying for what, like what thanks can we render to God in return for all the joy that we've received from you? Like that's like, there's nothing, like they're so overjoyed that there's nothing else that they could possibly give to God because they're so ecstatic for what he's done in their lives. But then in the midst of this, he, he talks about what they have done before God. He's praying for them night and day, which is a very Jewish way of thinking because for them the day goes night and then day. It goes evening and then morning, and that's a day. If you go back to Genesis, that's how the day is laid out. He's like, we're constantly praying most earnestly um, that we may see your face, that magnetic element Uh, amongst believers, this longing to gather. He says, I'm just praying to God. Like I've heard the report. I'm so excited. I'm so joyful, but I keep praying. I can't stop praying. My prayer is that we would be able to see each other face to face. My prayer for me and you is that I would be able to see you in the gathering, that we would be able to gather as a body because it's good for you. It's good for the body. We need you to participate with us And so my prayer is that this whole coronavirus will pass and that we'll be able to safely gather. We can never truly gather. We can never truly attain safety in this life. Like our our aim for safety, I don't know that it's, um, it's what we'd like and it's what we desire, but God wants us to seek him and that our our security isn't necessarily in this this life because we each are going to die. Like we're going to die. It's been appointed to us to die once. Our life is in God's hands. 
the true security that can be found is only found in Christ. And so the good report doesn't extinguish the desire of Paul's heart to, to meet with them and to see them. J.B. Phillips on these two uh, verses, it just reads, it's a paraphrase, so it reads sort of thought by thought, and he writes, um, how can we thank God enough for all the joy you give us as we serve him, praying earnestly day and night to see you again, to complete whatever is imperfect in your faith? So he says, there's nothing that we can do. We long to see you face to face, face to face so that we can encourage you, that we can continue to point you to Christ, that we can encourage you to, to grow in your relationship with him. So when I look, this passage is, is encouraging, but as a, as a teaching passage, it's not like, hey, the, like very easy points to sort of communicate um, for like application. Like this, so what does this all mean? And so when I look at this, um, I, I, I think... This whole section, and I probably said this last week, I'll probably say it again, but it's like in the midst of afflictions, we must stay focused on Jesus. Um, As our faith in his ability to care and to nurture for us grows, um, we are not shaken by the circumstances of the things around us. Um, Afflictions and, and persecutions and just struggles of this life uh, if we're grounded and rooted in Christ, those things actually serve as a catalyst to make us stronger and more grounded in him in faith. And so as we grow in our faith with him, it also we receive um, love from him and we experience his love and it fills up our tank and then ultimately it it spills out into others and we love others in ways that the world cannot love. Uh, We experience God's love. He fills us up with it. We overflow with his love and we become people of grace. And when I look at this passage, I see the longing of Paul's heart. I see the longing of the Thessalonians. I just see the importance of developing and nurturing meaningful relationships with, with, with each other and that as we encourage one another, that we press each other uh, towards Christ. And so with that, I hope you all have a wonderful week. I hope you continue to walk in the Word, to pray. Coronavirus can't stop you from making a call, an email, um, or just reaching out. Do what you can do to, to connect with others. I, uh, connection is a word that I see in this, that there's this longing to connect. And so if you're staying at home because you're concerned about the coronavirus, I respect that and I'm with you. But that doesn't mean that you can't connect with others in some manner. Uh, Be creative. And so with that, let's pray, and then I'll see you next week. Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We are so grateful, Lord, for all that you're doing in our life. We thank you for relationships. We thank you for this longing of fellowship that you've placed in our hearts. We pray, Father, that as we are separated from one another, that you would grow us close to you, that you would develop our love for one another in ways that you can only do. We love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, well, I'll see you next week. Have a, have a, have a great rest of your Sunday, and be blessed.